Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, to make this life count, and to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Today, I'm excited to interview Jordan Massey from the North River Church in Atlanta, Georgia. Jordan was converted in Atlanta as a student at Georgia Tech in 2009, and he's been serving as a campus minister at North River Church of Christ since graduating in 2013. He also worked as a civil engineer for the first three years after college. And then since 2013, the campus ministry at North River has grown from 80 students to 230 at its peak. It's a truly amazing story and reminiscent of truly the, the, the past in terms of the kingdom of God. And I'm so excited about just asking him, what's, what have they done? Jordan married his best friend LaToya in 2015. They, they love serving in God's kingdom together and being new parents to their 20-month-old son, Camden. Jordan, it's great to have you on the program today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Rob. Great to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to talk to you today and find out what you've been doing on, on the campus. And it's just, I was talking to my campus minister and I asked him, I said, listen, you know, who do you know who's really growing their campus ministry? And he brought up a few names and then he said, Jordan Massey, you got to talk to him. And so I'm so happy that you made the time today. Now, listen, how did you become a Christian? Can you tell me a little bit about your story, about your conversion? Yeah, so um, I tell people often that I am one abnormally born, to use Paul's language. So I did grow up in our fellowship churches as a kingdom kid. And um, I, in Atlanta, Georgia, my parents were in the ministry, actually. And then but when I was in third grade, my parents, you know, uh, got out of the ministry but then when I was in eighth grade, my, my dad left the church and became an atheist, mm. and my mom kind of followed him away. So all through high school, in my first two years at Georgia Tech, I just went like the exact opposite, opposite direction. And I uh, got heavy into drugs and alcohol and partying and girls and shoplifting, Grand Theft Auto, just kind of like everything. I just wanted to go full on into it. And during the time, I was kind of an atheist some days and agnostic other days. The only, the only time I'd ever go to church was if the pretty girl that I liked went to church <laughs> and I would go with her. <laughs> but then when I got to Georgia Tech, um, you know, there was more girls, more parties, more, you know, I, I got into drug dealing. So all that kind of multiplied and I, God was the furthest thing from my mind. And then, but I started getting arrested because a lot of that stuff's illegal. <laughs> in my sophomore year, my spring semester, the first week of school, I got caught twice by the cops within three days. And so that was like a, a wake up call. <laughs> and, and, um, and then I was talking to my two best friends and, and I had gotten to know them through class. And then they were the best break dancers on campus. And so I, I was, I've always been a hip hop fan and I, I love the, like the Afrocentric culture. So I quickly got into breakdancing. They became two of my best friends. This is in January when I got arrested twice, first, two week, first week of school in the spring. And unbeknownst to me, they had gotten met on campus, gotten Bible studies, and gotten baptized in December. And I had no clue. And so then first week of school, I'm sitting in the dining hall after getting arrested twice and uh, talking to my buddy Marcus, that was one of these guys. And then he basically was like, 
dude, you're never going to change your life until you try it God's way. Mm. And I was like, man, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want to hear any of that. And, um, but we were, we were tight enough where he was like, dude, just come with me to church, man. Just come on, dude, just try it. And I told, but I told him, I was like, man, if I ever go to church again, I'm going to go to the church I grew up in. Like that was still in my brain. Right. <laughs> and so I called an old family friend. Uh, she gave me one of the students number on campus. I called this guy, his name's Nick Molino, call Nick. Nick doesn't answer the phone. I run into my buddy again later that day. He's like, dude, just come with me to church. I didn't know he was talking about Bible talk. So he, he takes me to Bible talk and Nick Molino's there, but I've never seen him. So I don't know. And then the first, the first discussion I'll never forget was about the downward spiral of sin. And I'll never forget, man, one, um, the, the leader asked, Hey, does anyone want to share a story about how you have found yourself in a place of sin where you never said you would ever go? Mm-hmm. And I look at my buddies, Brad and Marcus, who had just gotten converted unbeknownst to me. And I was like, <laughs> do you think I should share? And they were like, yes, do it. So I raised my hand. I was like, I got a story. And um, so anyways, God designed that all for me afterwards. You know, what's your, they're asking me, what's your church history? I was like, oh, I grew up a preacher's kid. Oh, what church? Oh, the Church of Christ. And they were like, wait, what Church of Christ? And I was like, the Atlanta Church of Christ. And they were like, you mean the one? And they started naming people. And I was like, yes. And they were like, dude, this is that church. Oh, my gosh. I was like, no gosh. way. And so I felt like God was seeking, seeking me out, seeking to save the lost. So. From there, I started studying the Bible. I, I tell people I had all the baggage of a pagan kid, but I had all the arrogance and the self-righteousness of a kingdom kid somehow combined in me. So it took me a year for my heart to be broken by the cross. But eventually, I really saw that, man, if God is one I have a relationship with me, there's nothing I wouldn't do for him. And then December 13, 2009, made Jesus Lord, got baptized. So it was almost a decade ago, but I always look back on that and just be glory to God. Because I was running from him before he threw me a line. That's amazing. What an incredible story. So how old are you now, Jordan? I'm 30. You're 30. Oh, so it took you a whole year to to come around and become a true Christian. Yes, it took me a whole year. Yep, I had I started dating. Still, There were still some things I didn't want to give up, you know. Mm-hmm. And so God, one, one thing at a time, God took it away from me. Mm-hmm. So he gave me a choice of was I going to choose this world or was I going to choose him? And Yeah grateful you led me the right way well let's take a little detour there what would you tell parents whose kids maybe have gone off track you know either big time or you know just a little bit off track not not following god any advice any encouragement you could give them yeah i mean i went off track just about as far as you could go and um and and i wasn't thinking about god at all and i was getting arrested and i was getting thrown parties in the house so I would encourage people that that not to ever give up on your kids, but I would also encourage to remember that sin is terrible. And we and now I'm a new dad, and so I'm clearly not teaching my 20-month-old son these things yet. But I think sometimes we try to save our kids from learning the consequences the hard way, which I think we should. But sometimes, like me, I needed to learn the hard way. And it wasn't until I got caught twice by the cops within three days that I finally woke up, but that was something my parents never could have given me. But at the same time, it's given me a conviction against sin that never could have been handed down to me. Oh. And I, and because I've learned the hard way that sin is terrible. So 
unfortunately, I think there's some of us that need to learn the hard way. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, what do your parents think about what you're doing now and, and you're coming back to church? Were they shocked? Yeah, I mean, that's progressed over time. So when I first started coming back to church, my dad was a devout atheist. And then my mom was kind of on the fence about believing in God. But after I became a Christian, my brother a year later became a Christian. And my brother was still living in my parents' house. And so he quickly picked up a lot of atheistic books and became very militant in his atheism and tried to convince us otherwise. So that created a lot of grief and pain in our in our household. But over time, especially... Once I established myself, got married, started my own family, I think there's a mutual respect. But we've we've had our conversations, and we've not. But and he, he's definitely made clear the, his discouragement along the way. But um, I think him seeing my resoluteness and how I'm leading my family has made a big time difference. And that I'm not going to give up on loving him. I'm not going to give up on caring for him and trying to build a relationship. I think that's meant a lot over the years. I see. So now you're trying to you're trying to help your parents come back. But your brothers, your brothers made it back. My brothers made it back. Yeah, my brothers made it back. He got baptized, you know, just a year after me. And now he's married also. Gra- went through our campus ministry, graduated a few years back. They actually live in our same apartment complex. So we're very <laughs> blessed with that. That's an awesome story. That's great. Now, how did you choose ministry? I mean, that's that's a that's an even bigger step going into the professional ministry full time. Yeah, so it's, it's very interesting talking about my parents because I always, my dad was my hero when he was a disciple. Right. And I always wanted to be like him and preach like him. As a little kid, I remember watching him and going, man, that's what I want to do. I want to be just like my dad when I grow up, right? right. Yeah. But then it all came crashing down after uh, he left God. So, but there was a little bit of a dream in, like that, but I had made so many other dreams, I almost forgot that. Mm-hmm. Um and, uh, and I very much at Georgia Tech, my ambition in life was to become a millionaire and nothing else. Like I was like, I'm going to be a managed, a, a big time manager, a CEO in an engineering firm and yada, yada, yada. But I think what really got impressed on me was I was so grateful for those older brothers that taught me because I really did try to find, I really did try to find validation, acceptance, love and purpose in so many different areas of life. And it was all empty. Like, and I, I tried it and for a college kid. I tried it all and, and it always came back empty. So I was so grateful that these brothers showed me what I was actually looking for in God. Mm. And so I made the commitment as long as I would do whatever it takes to be an older brother to somebody else. And I know all disciples can do that. And all disciples are in the full-time ministry ever since we made the, the claim that Jesus is Lord, but I didn't want any distractions. And I didn't ever have to, I didn't ever want to have to worry about uh, focusing on something else mm-hmm. besides being an older brother to help young men and help, you know, a church see that there's one true thing in this world that, that we're all really looking for in God. Um, and so Psalm 62, like one and two became a big passion of mine where I felt that about Jordan Tech, you know, it talks about, you know, uh, for Zion's sake, I'll not keep silent for Jerusalem's sake. Uh, I will speak, I'll speak up. And I felt that for Georgia Tech. And I was like, for Georgia Tech's sake, I would not keep silent because there's other people like me. So I want to do whatever it takes without distractions from a secular job uh, to really help people. So I think that's where it started and it's matured over time. Wow. So you, you worked as an engineer, you graduated and then worked as an engineer for three years. And then you went, basically did a career change and went back into the ministry. 
Yeah, I worked for a ministry for three years part-time. Um, it was one of those things where the church was going through a shift in the campus ministry. Uh, Jake and Bethany Ostrowski were our campus ministers. And so they were moving on to leading a church. They eventually went to South, Af- South Africa, and now they're up in New Hampshire. But um, And so they shifted to hiring several different interns or just kind of new campus ministers. And Tom Brown had the conversation with me. Uh, hey, bro, your engineering job, you could work part time and pay for yourself fully. The other people can't. So would you be willing to do that <laughs> and then still do part-time ministry, but support yourself with your engineering uh, major? And I wish I said my heart was gold in that moment. And I was like, yeah, whatever for the church. No, I was bitter. I was mad. I was jealous. But I think it's actually exactly what I needed. And looking back, you know, hindsight, man, God really knew what I needed for my character and my discipline. And so I worked part-time for three years, slowly but surely, cutting back hours of engineering, putting more hours in the ministry until... Uh, like six months after we got married, uh, quitting my engineering job to do full-time ministry. Wow. Okay. Now, this is really amazing. So your campus ministry was at 80. Is this back in 2013 or so? Mm -hmm. Okay. And now, most recently, it's peaked out at 230. Now, I saw a picture of all the, the, the college students. I mean, it's awesome. And it reminds me of the old days. I was converted in 86. And what's interesting is that my church leader at the time was Tom Brown. Wow. <laughs> he, was, he was leading the church in Berkeley, California. And we met one block away from UC Berkeley. And at that time, what do you know? They had a campus ministry of right around 100 disciples. And mm-hmm. Tom was just an electrifying preacher and a powerful man of God. And I look forward to interviewing him someday. But... How, how'd you do it? I, I guess that that's the, the big question I've got is like, how did you grow the ministry from 80 to 230? Now, and maybe before you get into that, like, can you tell me what can, can't be just one campus? Can you tell me what campuses you're working that, that that's included in? Yeah. So we're on three main campuses. So we kind of split our campus ministry into the downtown schools, which we call the South ministry. And then the the suburb school, which we call the North Ministry, and then the church, North River, is kind of right in the middle of those two. And um, so the the suburb ministry is Kennesaw State, and then the downtown schools are Georgia Tech and Georgia State. So those are the three main schools. Now we have six or seven other schools that might have one student, maybe two. Emory would be the next biggest with about seven. But um, so, but those are the three main schools, and. I think going into the story, it doesn't just start with when I went in the ministry. So, so that was 2013 when we were at 80. When I got converted in um, in 09, the ministry was 40 or 35. And uh, and so it started with John, you know, Sherwood was my first campus minister, and Jake and Bethany. And so they really grew the ministry. Um, and so we kind of inherited it when I was about 80. And um, I think, I think, one of the keys, I can't, you mentioned Tom Brown, you know, he's, he's my hero, my spiritual father, my mentor, one of my best friends. And um, I think he's kind of been behind it all. He made a, a they made a decision, him and the, other, the elders at North River, that the next generation was going to be a key component and, and part of North River's DNA from the very beginning. And um, so that was huge. And that was when there was only one campus student, you know, in 06. Um, no, 05. But um, 
But anyway, so I think he that that was a huge a huge piece is when I first came to the campus ministry and even when I was a first campus minister, Tom Brown was at our devos. He was at all of our leaders meetings. He was discipling the campus minister, but then he was also getting a once a month time with some of us key student leaders. And from my knowledge, that's almost unheard of in our fellowship of churches is the senior minister in his 50s and 60s spending that much time you know, on the campus ministry. So I think we were extremely blessed from his experience, his faith, his prayer life, and his wisdom about just how to build campus ministry. Um, but I think there's a lot of different avenues we can go into. I mean, <laughs> I can't talk about our campus ministry without talking about our leaders. So when we were at 80, we have this picture of our, 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 our Bible talk leaders retreat in the beginning of the fall in 2013 and it was about 20 people, maybe 25. And then fast forward till now, that group of our Bible talk leaders is 60 to 70. Wow. And so we really, uh, the bigger a ministry gets, it's not the ministers that are moving the ministry, but it's, it becomes more and more our job to equip the saints and equip the leaders. And so we have an incredible group of student leaders that work hard to save, seek and save the lost and um, work hard to really take care of each other and um, to be grace-filled and uh, to be prayer-centered. So, man, our leaders are absolutely incredible. I could talk about them all day. Um, but I think we've done whatever we could to create a, a high-faith environment where anything was possible because of God, first and foremost. And, um, and then, but the, the other big key that I would say kind of more strategy is when I came in the ministry, we only had one campus minister, and he only focused on one school. So even though the ministry was 35 or 40, uh, 20 to 25 of them were at Kennesaw State. And then five to 10 of, you know, Georgia Tech at the time was only four students. And then Georgia State was 10 students. And that was 45 minutes away from the other school. So the campus minister spent almost entire all of his time at Kennesaw State. And he, he gave like one day or a half a day to Georgia Tech and Georgia State. And and I didn't view that as a student at Georgia Tech. I didn't view that as weird. I was grateful for Kennesaw because they were they were bigger. And as Kennesaw grew as a student leader, it made me see, oh, if there's 25 students there. They're going to be 25 students here. Right. Oh, there's 50 students there. They're going to be 50 students here. Mm-hmm. And um, oh, there's 100 students there. They're going to be 100 students here. And, um, and so it, it wasn't until the Ostrowskis left that, uh, that the McGurks, the Alberts and myself got put on staff where then there suddenly became a campus minister at each school. And so I think that was also a big part that Tom uh, really focused on, you know, from his past, his man really built up one school first, let it build momentum, let it be self-sustaining with strong leadership. Let that be a place for the other schools to look to and leadership to spawn from and then move on to the other schools. So I think that was a big piece uh, because right when we came to ministry, it, it was transitioning to a new place where there was suddenly an intern or a campus minister at each school. But before that, it was mainly just a focus at Kennesaw State at one of the schools. Mm. Wow. Well, tell me about your relationship with Tom. Man, I love Tom, man. Um, so it's interesting. Tom Brown made time for me before I became a Christian. And he had, because I, because of my history in Atlanta, I knew a lot of the, ch- the leaders around Atlanta because way back when my parents were in the church. And so when I first went, I didn't want to go to North River. I never 
heard of that, I wanted to go see Ben Barnett because I remember him working with my dad and being a friend and kind of like an uncle to me when I was a kid. And um, so I went there. So Ben Barnett gave Tom, you know, a call and Tom went, came to campus and, and got with me. And so ever since before I was a Christian, Tom has kind of been there. And then uh, as I became a leader in the campus ministry as a student, he would kind of give me once a month, every other month, just for a lunch, give me faith, really fuel me with belief. Um, but then over the last six, seven years, we've gotten together basically every single week for six or seven years. I mean, during quarantine now, during COVID, you know, and if you're listening to this later, right, this is 2020, right, in the middle of COVID. But we didn't get to see each other face-to-face for two months. In Georgia, things are starting to be lifted a little bit, so we have a little bit of one-on-one times and things like that. But um, I was like, wow, I can't remember going two months without sitting with you face-to-face mm-hmm. in years. And so he quickly, then it wasn't just my minister, but he was my mentor. He was my big brother and mm-hmm. my spiritual father. And um, so, and, and then he kind of helped me with everything. We really, really focused on my character, especially in the beginning of my purity, my arrogance, um, really helping me become a selfless man, a, a man of faith, a man of love, a man of prayer. And then, uh, but then also all along the way, really helped me develop in ministry. Um, so yeah, that's my man. I, yeah. I imitate Tom as he imitates Christ. <laughs> yeah, I'm so inspired by Tom and his willingness to bounce back from setbacks in his life, but also his history. I mean, going all the way back to the Gainesville University of Florida ministry uh, with people like Bruce Williams and Sam Lang, and he continues to to flourish. Uh, he's got to be in his late 60s now, I'm, I'm sure, mm-hmm. uh, but continues to to push ahead and, and is, is inspiring the kingdom in his late sixties. I think it's, it's courageous. It's gutsy. It's uh, he's a man's man, someone I definitely aspire to. So that's awesome. Yeah, that, yeah, that relationship with him. Now, if a young leader wants to have a breakout year on their campus, let's just say someone's listening to this and they're like, Oh my gosh, you know, where do I even start? Um, maybe their, their campus ministry is just kind of in, in the tank right now. What do you recommend? Where, what's, where, where do you start getting your, your campus going? Yeah, I think it's a great question, especially after uh, COVID time. The, the truth is that I think while the entire church has been affected seriously by COVID and quarantine, the campus ministry has gotten hit very hard because it's such a revolving door in campus because of graduates and transitions and things like that, that kind of every year, every semester counts. So you take a big spring worth of conversions out of the campus ministry. And then, and then if you happen to have a big uh, graduating class, you're really hurting. So I know myself and a lot of campus ministers are looking to a fall as an extremely important fall for the campus ministry. Um, So I think it's a very good question. And and if you're a campus minister, really thinking about where to start one, I want to applaud you. We need men and women like you to step up in our, in this world and in the kingdom to say, hey, the next generation isn't going to start with the older generation. The next generation starts with us. And for us taking the reins to have the spirit, to have the courage, to have the word of God, let that empower us and let that fuel you. And I guess a couple of things I would say, one is um, believe that there's leaders on campus that God is waiting for you to find. I think one of the keys is you got to find a running buddy fast. You know, ministry can be I, so- I'm sorry, what'd you say? Find a what buddy? A running buddy. A running buddy. 
yeah, find a running buddy fast, someone that can go arms, you know, arm in arm with you that can fight and save souls with you. Um, so because ministry can be so isolated and so lonely, especially when you're on campus for long hours and you feel like you're by yourself, but really believe that God has someone there waiting for you to find that is great leaders in this world, but God gave those leaders gifts first and foremost for his kingdom. Um, so trust that there's someone there just waiting to be found that isn't just going to be a student in your ministry, but that's going to hear the call and fight to save souls with you. Mm -hmm. Um, the other thing I would really encourage is there's nothing that, um, there's nothing that takes the place of hard work and prayer. And one of the kind of phrases that I love, it might be oversimplified and over stereotyped, but I love it is work like it depends on you and pray like it depends on God. Right. And, and man, the character of just hard work, spending long hours seeking and saving the lost, filling your schedule with love. I mean, it's the basics. I think, yeah, we can talk strategy and talk different things about our ministry, but honestly, in the beginning, the things that we really hold is kind of like in football, what matters most is blocking and tackling, not missing the tackle and blocking for your runs, right? And it's the doing the simple, I would much rather have a minister do the simple things excellently than to do a lot of things averagely. Mm. And so, man, spending long hours on campus, sharing your faith, sharing your faith until you find six people to study the Bible with or eight people to study the Bible with. And then, but really not getting arrogant and thinking it's all up to you and up to our strength and might, but it's up to the spirit and be filled with prayer. Um, launching onto campus, Thomas told me many times, you know, even in the first kind of couple week campaigns that we have on campus, sharing our faith and sharing with hundreds, sharing with thousands, Tom reminds me beginning of every semester, Jordan, don't just spend all your time sharing and evangelizing. Take time every day, even 30 minutes, even an hour on campus in the middle of the day when it seems like all you should be doing is sharing your faith, take an hour to pray because that'll actually make all your other time more faithful and more fruitful because God is with you That's instead right. of you being by yourself. So I think he's also ingrained that, Tom's ingrained that into me, and I hold that very dearly that we can work our tails off but if it's not for God, it doesn't matter. So we do need to pray because it actually does depend on God even more than us. Right. You know, one thing I've, I've seen is that there's a lot of, a lot of campus ministries that are, they're stuck in a range, you know, like a common range I see is right around 20 people. And in fact, that's where our campus ministry is at, right at 20. And, and I was really happy to get out of the teens. We started about eight years ago with one disciple on campus and then probably got up into the mid 20s now we're probably in the low 20s after graduation but how how does a campus ministry how do you get a campus ministry to to break out to to get out of a, a range that you know it's kind of an equilibrium yeah i mean it's tough because I, I know even um, we were talking earlier about how your podcast is even being heard all around the world which is incredible i'm I really i'm inspired by what you're doing so I think it's different for every campus, especially when we talk about different cultures around the world. I mean, everything's different. So I can share what I think, of course, knowing that doesn't apply to every culture and especially campuses and college around the world looks very different. But I think one of the phrases that um, in the business world, they talk about middle management, but I think in the campus ministry to kind of cross that barrier for us, it was our leaders. So there's a certain, there's kind of a certain threshold in the campus ministry that a strong, powerful campus minister can grow the campus ministry to almost on their own. Baptizing a few people a semester, husband and wife, or a couple of interns, 
discipling a couple people and they can kind of get it to 20, get it to 30, um, and then sustain that. But if it's just the campus minister, then there's a ceiling. There's kind of a funnel that everything has to flow through them. So I think the Bible talk leader and empowering the, the Bible talk leader, the student leader becomes incredibly important. And no matter where you're at in the world, I think as a campus minister, our main goal is to, to baptize as many people as possible and to raise up leaders, right? And so I think there comes a shift in a campus minister's mindset. I know for me, where I had to go, my main goal isn't just to blitz, baptize as many people as possible, but it's also going to be balancing that with raising up leaders. So I think one of the biggest things is, man, empowering your leaders and not even the simple things, right? Not leading the studies anymore, being in the study, but then having your leaders lead the study, right? Uh, not doing every sermon, being there, discipling your guys, but having them lead a sermon or a campus devotional or a fun time or activity. Uh, not It's been years since I've led my own Bible talk, and I'm in Bible talks, I'm in family groups, but... I, I more than anything want to empower someone else to do it and be in the family group with them to teach them and to show them and give them input. Um, and so I think that's one of the biggest things I would say it kind of at different thresholds, but especially that 20 to 30 range, it's man, when it go when it multiplies from just the campus minister baptizing to the campus minister and a few leaders baptizing every semester that's when you start to see multiplication. That's awesome. That's a great, great answer. Now, let's talk a little bit about Bible Talks. I mean, Bible Talks was an innovation straight out of the late 60s, University of Florida, Gainesville. Hey, let's let's get into the dorms. Let's reach people where they're at. Maybe they're not interested in church, but let's bring the Bible to them, to their dorm right. room. Um, but I think for many people listening, they're like, that's so old school. That's That's 50 years old. Are you guys still doing Bible talks there? It sounds like you are. Yeah, we are. And of course, Tom always mentions, yeah, they used to be called soul talks. Soul talks. Right? <laughs> and, uh, so we are, you know, we kind of modify them and change them a little bit each year. But the idea, so I, I don't think you can read the New Testament and not believe in small groups, right? And not believe in one another, deep relationships, and part of that is discipling groups or iron groups or sharpening, you know, mentoring groups, whatever you want to call it, prayer partners. But I think a part of that is a smaller group that's between men and women. Um, so recently we've done a couple things. W one is um, we've changed it from Bible talks. A Bible, They still have Bible talks, but we call it a family group. First and foremost, we want people to see this is not just about having a discussion, but it's about being family. Okay. And a family group has Bible talks, not so instead of just calling it a Bible talk and everything depends on the Bible talk, it's okay. You're a family group that has Bible talks. It's a small change, but it kind of became a piece of our culture, uh, making a small change like that. A second thing is that we started realizing <clears throat> that there's a certain, there is only a certain type of person that is willing to come to a random Bible talk discussion. And either someone's been very broken and they're looking for a new way out, kind of like me, and or someone that kind of grew up around religiosity and they, they know their mom's going to be asking them about it later. So I'm going to just do this to check off the box. But for a lot of people in our growing age um, of postmodernism, the, there's not a lot of people would not want to just go to a random Bible discussion. So what we started doing is we have a classic Bible discussion every other week. 
Then the family group has what we started calling passion nights every other week, where they pick somebody in the family group to host something that they love doing that they're very passionate about. So it could be, let's all go play soccer together or play basketball together. It could be, I mean, let's do arts and crafts together. It could be, let's go serve the poor. It could be, man, let's get together and sing songs and play karaoke or watch a movie. And what it does is, man, they're very passionate about it. And suddenly we've empowered that, that person in the family group to invite their friends that also love doing that mm. and invite their basketball friends or their anime friends or their friends <laughs> that love doing nonprofits. And then, um, and so it's empowering people in the group. And then it also helps us create more of a family to say, hey, we're not clicky where we only hang out with people that like our hobbies. But I, yeah, because I know later in the semester, we're going to do what I want to do. This week, when we're doing something I don't want to do, I'm going to do it and I'm going to support you because we're a family. Right. And so that's kind of how we've adopted it in this past year is doing a Bible discussion every other week because we believe in a small group getting together and talking about the word of God. And that's where the power is. But then also every other week doing things that we're passionate about because there's a lot of people that will come play basketball with their friends, but not go to a Bible discussion. Mm -hmm. And so that creates another uh, opportunity for us to evangelize people that wouldn't otherwise be interested. Right. That's great. And it, it gets, gets everyone engaged, everyone sharing something that they personally are interested in that's not necessarily connected to the Bible, but it could bring other friends who have those similar interests. That's, that's, that's really good. So that's one type of outreach. Um, any other type of outreach tools that you're using that's, that's, that's working for you? I mean, is it just straight blitzing? You're just getting out and just sharing, doing tabling, anything unique that you're doing that you, you could share? Yeah, we're uh, there. I don't have very many new things, but I hope I can say the old things with faith. Mm -hmm. So I do think that there is an, a growing perception that cold contact evangelism doesn't work. And there's a growing perception that a random person on the street does not want to hear about the word of God from another random person on the street. And I, I have seen God prove that wrong time and time again. And before I talk about that, I, I do think there's people that that does not work for, and it's not extreme. So we are fighting for a balance. That's even why we have these passion nights because someone we, we we've done things like, uh, intramurals we love doing intramurals on campus i have bootlegged my way into still being able to play on the intramural basketball team and flag football team <laughs> but even a couple a couple of years ago in the spring we had an intramural team and <clears throat> whenever we met new people or talked to our friends in the dorms we said hey do you want to play basketball with us we got intramural team those co-eds we'd have guys and girls we had just in one semester we had four people become christians from one intramural basketball team wow so we love doing things like that and finding kind of passions or hobbies to meet people in but in terms of cold contact evangelism, um, with our ministry of about 200, with our big graduating class, we're smaller than that now without the springs with the baptisms, like right. I was saying earlier. Right. But the um, of our ministry of you know on, that's usually about 200, uh, about 180 of them are non-kingdom kids. Wow. And so 10% or less, it's usually actually about 7% of our ministry are kingdom kids. Everyone else is met on campus, hmm. and I would say about maybe 15% of them are friends of friends. You know, a disciple gets, someone gets baptized and it's their friend or their roommate. But a majority of people in our campus ministry are met by cold contact evangelism. Meaning the first time they hear about, they witness the kingdom of God is someone reaching out their hand and saying, yo, what's up, man? My name's Jordan. What's your name? And um, 
And I've seen it work time and time again with all kinds of different people. And I could go story after story after story is what I always pray for almost, almost to the, almost hundred percent of the time before I go and share my faith on campus is God leading me to somebody that you want me to find that you've already been working on. Right. And time and time again, we hear weeks later after starting to study the Bible, after meeting someone random, bro, I haven't said this yet, but I was praying to find a church. Wow. Bro, I haven't said this yet. I just broke up my my dating relationship and I was looking for a new, you know, new love or I just moved here or whatever it is to really feel like, yeah, this doesn't seem like it should work, but we're in the kingdom of God. We can't put God in the box. That's that right. God's been working on people's hearts long before we meet them. Mm-hmm. And then he wants to introduce us to them. Yeah. And we're all part of his story. So I think there are new things and exciting things and where we try to do the passion nights and intramural teams. And, uh, you know, we, we have different in the beginning of the semester, especially really fun cookouts with hundreds and hundreds of people and a bunch of free food and giant volleyball that squishes the small freshman girls and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But we really do believe in cold contact evangelism. We don't necessarily go town to town now, like Jesus sent the 12, but we can go from the student center to the student union to the dorms, meeting random people. Yeah. Now, Okay, let, let's just, I, I, I totally agree with you. And I, I feel like this is so, something that I, I feel strongly about as well. Like cold contact evangelism has been derided as old school, as, you know, that's just a relic of the past. It doesn't work. And I've never agreed with it. I mean, that's how, I mean, campus ministry in at Berkeley, we did a lot of cold contact sharing. And somehow the, the thinking has kind of spread in, in some of our churches where it's like, that's a thing of the past. And oftentimes I hear people sharing that who are just afraid of evangelism. They just, mm-hmm. you know, they yeah. just don't want to share. And so it, it gives them justification by saying and writing it off as it's old school. So I, yep. I totally agree with you on that one because, you know, I've, I've said this before. It's like, once you've talked to all your friends that you know right now, then you're left with the rest of the world that you don't know. What are you going to do about them? You know, right. if Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations, at some point you're going to have to talk to people you don't know. And, exactly. and so I agree. And it's nice to hear that coming from you. Now, And, and I will say, just added on to that, I also share my faith cold contact for my own soul. Like it, it does something if, if for me, Every time I share my faith, it's me proclaiming that God has given me the greatest gifts of all time, and I have to share it with anybody and everybody. Mm-hmm. And it works on my selfishness. It works on my arrogance. It works on my uh, – I'm kind of an extrovert, introvert, depending on the day. <laughs> but it works <laughs> on my – like. but even, even when I'm feeling very extroverted, I don't want to go meet a random person. It's awkward. It's It's weird. And right. – I have a, I have a lot of fun with it and we, I do all kinds of crazy random things with it just to keep it fun. And I think that's also what people can hesitate on is it seems so rigid, but I actually think we try to make cold contact evangelism very fun and very exciting. And like, and we don't take ourselves too seriously that we're walking with God, but I I do it for my own soul. Yeah. And if I go too long without meeting somebody random that I've never met before and talk about Jesus then I just get, I start to get this inward focused yeah. more. And not that that's the only way to share our faith. Clearly sharing our faith is so much more holistic than that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I really need it for me. Yeah. 
I, I remember at the beginning of the semester, just the dread I would feel walking toward <laughs> campus, just like I'm heading, I'm heading to the gallows right now. Yeah. Any, any tips for people that, you know, it's just like, oh my gosh, they, there's so much reluctance to, to share their faith. Any tips to just help a person overcome that fear that I think all of us face in, in sharing our faith with people we don't know. Anything that can kind of get you over the hump. Any, any tricks that you play in your own self to, to get you to do that? Yeah, I mean, one, I, I know that feeling too. The beginning of the semester are always my best quiet times because I need it. <laughs> I'm, just, like, I'm not going to be able to go to campus without an hour quiet time. <laughs> and um, so I, I guess there's a couple of things. One, always remembering it's a... Uh, that when you're meeting somebody, you're not just giving somebody an invitation, uh, but you're really giving someone an introduction. So I think too much we make it about getting, like trying to get someone to someplace instead of making a connection, right? And so I always start with, hey, what's up, man? My name's Jordan, and I want to know their name. And before I ever mention anything about Jesus, if they're willing to talk to me, I want to know their major and, you know, what are they studying and things like that. Um, and then and then what, what I that's a, it's a piece of the overall idea that what's really helped take the pressure off of me that would really weigh me down is that it's not about production, but it's about obedience. And for me, if a student in our ministry shares their faith for five hours in the first week, maybe it's an hour a day or something like that in the first week of school, and they don't find a single person that comes to Bible talk or a single person that wants to study the Bible, that is still a victory. Right because they obeyed God right. and that they had the faith to go find. And I think we can get very overwhelmed when we put this pressure on ourselves to, this is a, this is not a victory unless I find someone to study the Bible. Right. And I think that's a very narrow minded way of looking at it. Then there's other things that are more fun because we love to keep it fun. So we've done anything and everything from using props, like throwing the Frisbee at someone or the football at somebody, or I've even gone out there with two nerf swords and thrown the nerf sword a nerf sword at somebody and charged them and then we get in a random battle and then afterwards i'm like yeah dude do you ever think about the fight between good and evil (laughs) you know to start or we've used bubble wrap which is genius i did not come up with this but we started doing this years and years ago but we had lined the main walkway on campus with bubble wrap and people don't see it and then they walk over it and it pops and you know, bubble wrap, once you pop it, once you can't stop popping it. Right, exactly. So they suddenly start, these campus, big campus men start jumping up and down of glee on the <laughs> bubble wrap, and then they're, they're stuck. <laughs> and so, so then we run up to them, hey, what's going on? Why is this bubble wrap here, dude? I don't know, but you know about Jesus? You know, just kind of just fun conversation. So we love doing, using props like that and even making funny analogies. And um, so we, we really do try to keep it fun and keep it lighthearted and Honestly, as dreaded as it is before I go on campus and share my faith, I probably laugh more those first two weeks than I do most other weeks. Right. Because I knew if it's if it's not I know if it's not fun, if I'm not laughing, if I'm not cracking jokes, then I'm gonna take it so seriously, I'm gonna get very overwhelmed and burnt out. That's right. That's good. Thank you. Now you try I know you travel. I know that I've heard your name. I know you've been asked to go different places to share what's what's been going on in your campus, and so you're you're talking to other campus ministers across the country. You're talking to other ministries and people on on them. What do you see that's not happening on other campuses that's holding them back? What's the most common issue 
that you're seeing on other campuses, other churches that's keeping their ministries from growing? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's, I'll say first, it's tough because I can visit different places, but that doesn't mean I've lived there. And there's specific situations in each and every city and each and every church that is very unique. So I don't want to over stereotype, but um, I think I've seen a couple trends that I could speak to. I think one is, uh, I think, unfortunately, a lot of the really seasoned evangelists and ministers in churches have hired a campus minister, campus minister to run the campus ministry without investing time and energy into the campus ministry along with them. I think that was what was so unique about Tom is that he invested so much and it was, he didn't just say our church is a next generation church, but he, on his schedule, you could see that North River was a next generation church by the lead minister. Um, so I think that's a piece of it. I think that to, on the campus minister level, I have sensed a, there's this weird phenomenon when I've seen a lot of student leaders work hard for the kingdom of God and really lay it out there and be risk takers and go after it and, um, and really trying to make a difference on campus and really push themselves. But then when they get some kind of title, they slow down and it, I, I I've sensed a, uh, it, which can make me question, are we just as campus ministers, are we just looking for a, a title and stability or are we really looking to try to change this world for the kingdom? Um, and I, I don't want to over stereotype, but I, I can just get that sense sometimes, even in some of the student leaders that I work with when they when they become, uh, you know, when they get a position. But I think, honestly, for us, it's really simple. It's time on campus, TOC and we talk about this every year in our campus training program and it's it's time on campus you can never substitute time on campus meeting people talking to people getting bible studies getting in the dorms um staying in the student center and creating a culture and um i i think we're more and more like our our multimedia generation is getting us a lot more focused on our sermons and our platforms on the media which i think can create not only a lot of incredible content like you're doing right now, it can also reach a, a great number of people. But as campus ministers, the first and foremost, the people that we're trying to reach are on campus. And so I spend long hours on campus and all of our campus ministers at North River and our interns, we spend long hours on campus. And I don't think you can ever substitute time on campus. And I wonder if we've dropped that and we, as campus ministers, we can get tied in too fast to the other issues in the church that we don't simply focus and spend long hours on campus. Mm, that's great. Now, okay, so one thing that I hear, how, how do you, t what, what do you tell people who've got their excuses, why their campus ministry can't grow? Like one thing I hear is like, well, our campus ministry is filled with really smart people, you know, and, and I, I look at, look at your situation and, and to be honest, I go, Georgia Tech, I know is a very, an excellent school. I mean, it's, it's filled with super smart people. I know, I think I've got a relative who's going to, or was grad school there. I mean, it's, it's one of the best technical schools in the country. 
But sometimes, you know, people go, well, my campus ministry can't grow because the students are too academic. Or maybe my campus ministry is too small or it's, I got a commuter school, you know, or I've got this situation. And any, any words to those who are blocked by, you know, different excuses? I mean, I think about your situation, Georgia State, um, Georgia, is it Georgia Tech? And then you've got Kennesaw, I, I mean, Kennesaw State, never heard of that place. I mean, right, to right. be honest, <laughs> Kennesaw State, I know Kennesaw Mountain Landis, I've heard his name. Uh, much, I've heard University of Georgia, definitely a lot more. Um, any any word you'd give to those who are struggling with kind of excuses, feeling like, you know, you don't understand my situation, Jordan. Right, right. So I think one of the quotes I love, you know, is that you can have, you can make excuses or you can have growth, but you can't have both. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for us, you even mentioned, so Georgia State, I'll, I'll break down like our three main schools. And then uh, usually what, it, what it's sitting at is Kennesaw State is about 100 students. And then Georgia Tech is about 40 to 45 students. And then Georgia State's about 50 to 55 students. And, um, and so Georgia Tech is the academia. I mean, it's in almost every engineering, uh, uh, engineering major. It's almost in the top three for every engineering major. Some it's number one in the world. Um, so it's extremely studious. I mean, when I was a student, there was this whole, uh, national thing about what, which is the hardest school and Georgia tech was number one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it is incredibly studious. Now, Georgia state, on the other hand, is, is downtown. It's an urban school. I mean, the, the, it literally, the campus is, they have a couple blocks in the middle of the city and then the, a bunch of the classrooms are within between skyscrapers and the rest of the city. So it's a very urban downtown uh, city uh, campus, and it's Afrocentric. There's a lot of culture there. Now, Kennesaw, you out to the suburbs, and then Kennesaw, it started out as a community college, but then it grew, you know, before we started the ministry there to become its own university, and it's actually still growing uh, also, but it's, you know, it's it has that suburb, uh, suburban, southern, more feel, and so each school is very different, mm-hmm. and um and at each school, we can make specific, we can make excuses if we wanted to. Yet we've seen that if we, whenever we lean into what the school is good at, we actually see a lot of growth. So Georgia Tech, for instance, people come from all over the world to Georgia Tech. Um, it's our most international student population uh, in the in the state, and it's also our most international uh, student ministry. And uh, you know, for us in North River, but the um, and so, but they're. Georgia Tech trains them to be pushed. It trains them to increase their capacity. It pushes them beyond their limits. So we noticed that actually when we tried to quote unquote tailor the ministry for those busy schedules and lessen the the quote unquote workload for the ministry, the students didn't respond well. Because in school, they were told, no, because this is important, you're pushed. And so in the ministry, if we didn't push them, they didn't think it was important. Wow. So the students at Georgia Tech actually have just as much, if not more stuff that they do in the ministry, because that's what they've been trained to think at Georgia Tech is when something matters to me, I put a lot of time and effort into it. So I actually, even though I went to Georgia Tech, I remember the, the, you know, how hard it was that it was like a prison and things like that. I know that they have a ton of capacity and they actually come there to be pushed. 
at Georgia State, um, which is an Afrocentric school, it's urban. So the majority of our, uh, of it, it is the, uh, Georgia State graduates more African-Americans out of any university in the nation wow. every year. And so we have leaned into that. So we have a very urban Afrocentric uh, culture in the Georgia State ministry. It's predominantly black in the uh, of the 60 students. Every year we pray for diversity. We pray for white people. We pray for Asians, Latinos. But you know what? When, whenever we've leaned into, let's have an, a, a more cultured urban ministry, then it's blossomed into that. And so kind of each school, we kind of find its niche and then lean into it and God blesses it because there's a certain type of person on that campus. So it's more trying to figure out what kind of campus are you at and how do you lean towards that to really help it multiply? That's great. That's brilliant. Now, I'm sure you talk to campus leaders calling you all the time for advice and say, hey, Jordan, help me out. What do I do? What's the most common question that you that you're fielding that you're a- answering for for campus ministers? What are they asking? What are they interested in? It's usually how in the world did a scrub like me marry my beautiful wife? <laughs> uh, um, you know, I get a lot of questions. A lot of the same questions you're asking. You know, how has the ministry grown so fast? What does your relationship look like with Tom? What does my schedule look like? I get that question a lot. Um, what do I do in my leaders meetings? I get that question a lot. Um, and then how to, cause we have a campus staff now, uh, going into the, the fall, it's actually going to be the biggest we've ever had. We have a campus staff of 12 people. Wow. And so that that's grown over the years. And, um, when you say staff, are these paid staff or. Yep. Okay. So they're getting at and least, so- at least a part-time salary. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Several, most of them are part-time, you know, salary. And, but we've also created that culture of, uh, we kind of call it like a residency where when you're a doctor and you're a resident, you, you go through medical school and then your residency, knowing that the training you you get now is worth the lack of pay that you get, but the training is worth what you're going to do later on. Right. So we've kind of created a similar culture of, you know what, we're going to decide to not pay as many, we're going to decide to pay more or less and have a residency because we believe the training is what's most important during, you know, uh, new graduates at that point in their life for their future, more than the amount that they make at that time is important. So we have a lot of part-time staff, um, but yeah, I get those kind of questions. That's great. Okay. That's helpful. Well, you know, let me just ask this question. What what do you feel like needs to happen when you look at the kingdom around the world to create a new golden age of campus ministry? I mean, the ICOC, the Churches of Christ that we're a part of, our family of churches, its origin is in the campus ministry, the campus ministry movement dating back over 50 years to that University of Florida and the campus ministry movement, the Crossroads movement that led to the Boston movement and then the ICOC from your perspective, what needs to happen? Yeah, so that's a big question. I, again, I can give my perspective. So I think there's a couple of different things on different levels. One is when I was just saying North River has taken a, a very focused uh, uh, approach to next generation where not only 
or it's not just said, you know, kind of in a mission statement or things like that. The next generation is important. But the lead minister, Tom Brown, spent, especially in the first decade of North River, a lot of his time in campus ministry. Um, and so that, that it's a focus there. It's a focus. I just said that we had 12 people on our staff. <laughs> so it's a focus financially. And there is a reality that's at North River that there's other parts of our uh, church that do suffer where the money could go to. Um, but, but as a church in the beginning, it was next generations of focus. So then we're going to focus on the next generation. So I think every church kind of has to decide what their focus is and put resources into that. Um, so I think there's that side, uh, where I, I wonder amongst churches, how many resources are put into campus ministry. Um, but then the, the other thing is, man, I think as our movement as a whole, we're the thing that I love about our movement is our dedication to the word. And one of those things is we are all, the great commission is we all counted that cost and we got baptized at the great commission is our new mission in life. And unlike a lot of uh, other churches and that we've been to, or we know about where it's the pastor's role to minister and it's the pastor's role to make disciples or to make Christians and whatever, We've, we've said, no, 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 Jesus' standard's different. And we all are called to imitate Christ as he seeks and save the lost. And I think in our campus ministries, uh, that I think that's been lost in a lot of ways. A lot of people can just look to, to their campus ministers and look towards their interns to seek and save the lost and get in Bible studies and not take that responsibility personally. And then um, the other thing that I'm really inspired about in the past is the sacrifice that people were willing to, to make for the kingdom. Well, you know, there's kind of the old tales about the one suitcase challenge where you sell right. everything and right. you just move one suitcase or you're willing to move to any city, no matter where it is and, and things like that. And sure. We're the, at the extremes of that, did it become dangerous? Sure. But I think there was something so healthy, mm-hmm. a healthy heart in the middle of that, that is man, writes the old phrase, I'll go anywhere, do anything, give up everything. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think what we've really tried to foster in our ministry is, is there's nothing that we shouldn't be willing to do in order to advance the kingdom of God and, um, and to create sacrifices and, uh, and to have students that are willing to give up high paying jobs to go into ministry Mm -hmm. and have students that are willing to, Man, work a part-time job, you know, to do a one-year challenge first, or to get a, a be a, be a part-time intern first to uh, to really serve and give back. Um, so there's a couple of things that come to my mind, and then I guess the last thing I'll say is just the focus. Uh, I again think I I love campus ministry, and now that I'm 30, and a lot of guys my age are starting to you know, that our campus ministers are starting to be asked as they, as we get appointed evangelists to take on more roles in the, in the church. And I think what's happening a lot of times is our, our, our focus gets divided even as campus ministers. And I have felt that that's one reason why we got to have such a big staff is because I can't focus on it as much as I used to be able to. Right. Um, And so I think there's a beauty, we, we, we have campus ministry 101 at our campus training program and we have campus ministry 201. And we joke in Campus Ministry 201 that we call it NADS, no adult drama. And it's kind of just, you know, a joke. But the, the idea is, man, don't worry about what's happening in the rest of the church. Not to be naive, not to be ignorant, 
not to not mature and lean into those conversations and learn, but to say, look, enjoy your time while you're young, cranking on campus right. and, and helping young men and women become great leaders in the kingdom of God. So I think we need that again for campus ministers to be content, not worry about anything else, to have a singular focus on what's going on in the campus ministry. That's great. That's there's some nuggets right there. I mean, I think what you're sharing about um, the focus, focused resources, focused money, focused people on the campus. Every person's a disciple maker. Being willing to sacrifice personally and calling other people to sacrifice. And that, that leads me to another question I've got for you. You know, one thing I've seen in, in, in some situations, um, you'll have a large campus ministry, but it's more like a, a spiritual country club. Um, yeah. Lots of sin. I mean, just kind of, you know, I'm just kind of like, wow, it's got a great reputation. But then when I've gotten closer to it, I'm like, whoa, there's just... It's as worldly as as you can get, as close to the line, so so to speak, um, and and I think there's there's kind of a tension, you know. I think some parents are like, "Hey, take my kid, you know, I'm going to send him to this place because I got a bunch of other kingdom kids. I'll get them married," and and yet it's kind of a worldly environment in my mind, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. kind of just like, you know, like in any case, I. I Maybe, maybe you've seen the same thing there. What, what expectations do you have for your students in your ministry in terms of personal righteousness? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we preach, <clears throat> we try to have an incredible balance where it's we preach strong grace and we preach strong righteousness. And we try to preach both strongly because <laughs> there's scriptures that talk, man, not even a hint of sexual immorality. And then you flip to, man, I am what I am by the grace of God, right? And so we preach, preach both very strongly to have a really good balance. And then, um, but when it comes to personal righteousness, I mean, we talk about purity a lot. And, and I'll, we'll have a le- lessons in our campus midweeks, we call them Tuesday Night Lives. And we'll have lessons every semester about purity, about evangelism, about uh, humility, about selflessness, about our language, um, but, you know, on campus, we definitely have a lot of, you know, we have purity groups that we, <clears throat> and what we've shifted into is not having students or even young campus ministers lead our purity group, but have an older brother lead purity group to, cause I think a lot of young men, especially need a father figure to help them grow in their, in their character. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's some deep rooted things that can only be met by a father figure. Right. Um, as much as, of course, the word of God is where the strength comes from. So we have a count, we have our, our purity group. Um, you know, we have, uh, you know, discipling partners and every, you know, person in the campus ministry has a big brother or a big sister to really pray with, to be real with, to have a safe place to really talk about anything and everything, to be loved, but then also to be called higher and to be held accountable. Hmm. And, um, and so I think we really, really talk about those things a lot. And we, but we really try to, we've, we've seen that people grow the best when it's neither extreme, when it's not, Hey, this is a safe place, but we don't challenge you. People don't grow very much, but when it's, we're only challenge you, but it's not really safe. Right. People don't grow either. Right. And so we really try to keep it with that balance of uh, holding people to a high standard, um, whether it's in dating, whether it's in their personal lives, whether it's their character or their families or their interactions with their friends on campus. Okay. Okay. That's, that's helpful. And so 
what you're saying is that you have high expectations, but also you try to make it a safe place and you're not afraid to call sin, sin. Yeah. Okay. That's, yeah. That's good. Now let's just, you mind if we just change the channel here? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Atlanta, Georgia in the U S um, is really kind of in the center of the storm in terms of racial tension. Uh, we're recording this toward the end of June. Um, recently, Rayshard Brooks was, was shot by police, outside of a Wendy's, the Wendy's was burned down. And so I, I, you know, in the midst of the racial tensions that are going on in the U.S., what what thoughts and feelings have gone through your head? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's on, for me, it comes with several different hats. So first, I'm a white man, if you're just listening to this, that was raised in the South. And even though I grew up, so I grew up in our fellowship of churches, which is extremely diverse. I, uh, I still am a white man. And, um, and so I've, I have felt, uh, anger watching those videos. I have felt a deep sadness watching these horrific murders, but honestly, I, I've walked away then caught myself not thinking about it or trying to write it off and kind of using my my white privilege to not think about it and to, and to really ignore it. And I've had to call myself higher on that. Um, and, and we, as a church in North River, we started a diversity training two years ago, or we started, it was a six month training. We started with our staff. Then we've gone through doing it with our leaders, our now small group leaders. And now we're doing it with our different communities across the church. So that's really helped equip us. Um, then, so then as a married man, I'm married to an African-American woman, my black queen, what's the way I'm asking. And, um, <laughs> and then we have an 18 month old or a 20 month old son who's mixed and looks very mixed. And um, so th- then it comes that level where I, and Toya, my wife has two brothers that are large black men. And, um, and then seeing her cry over fear of her brothers, the same thing happening to them has broken my heart. Um, then as a father to a mixed son, I think the Ahmaud Arbery about a month and a half ago uh, murder, I think that one was the one that broke me to make me truly realize that that could be my son. Mm-hmm. I think there was a, there was an unspoken uh, kind of voice in my head that didn't want to believe that this could happen to my son, a white man's son. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's got completely shattered. Mm-hmm. And so then as a, as a father, I, I've mourned over, man, my son will grow up in a different world than me, at least that the world will view him differently than me. Right. Um, so a lot of my bubbles have been burst over the years. And, um, but now what I've done personally is uh, I have started to study it out scripturally and to go, I don't just want this to be a phase in, in my life, in my family's life or in our church's life. I want this to be something that's rooted in scripture and the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And because um, I can be angry now, but only righteous indignation will last. And so I've studied out the oppressed. I've studied out the image of God. I've studied out uh, speaking up for justice or mishpat, right? And um, doing those studies to really trying to see it from the kingdom lens has helped me even more. And it's actually made me want to fight for the oppressed even more, mm-hmm. but it's not. And I've had to really fight that even in my own life. Someone actually asked me, 
do, are you so worked up about, do you think you'd be just as much worked up about this and talking about it just as much if I didn't marry a black woman and have a black son? And somebody asked me that. <laughs> and I, they, they're a good friend and I don't think they were trying anything. But, you know, I, I responded, you know, I don't know if I can answer that, but I do know this is in scriptures. And so I think if I studied it out, it would create the same type of feeling. But I want to I want to make sure that's true in my heart, mm-hmm. that I'm not just responding to it from a white man's perspective, right. not just responding to it from an interracial perspective in my marriage, but I'm responding to it from the kingdom of God perspective. So I think there's been a lot of feelings and a lot of mourning and a lot of anger, and at the same time, a lot of great talks and a lot of good scripture reading and prayers. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. Um, as we kind of come in, just a few more questions here. You mentioned that only about 10% of the people in your campus ministry are um, raised in the church, okay? And yet, you know, there's quite a few people coming into our campus ministries that are, are coming from a kingdom background. What, what do you find, you, you yourself came from a, a partial background in the kingdom of God. How do you motivate a person raised in the church? Like what, what's worked for you? What do you see as effective in helping people that grew up in a religious environment and, and then they're coming into the campus ministry? Yeah, I think that it's easy when you grow up in church to, even if you're a Christian, even if you've gotten baptized, it's really easy to view righteousness as a church thing and not a God thing. And what I mean by that, it is a church thing, but that it's a humanistic thing Mm -hmm. and not a God thing. And so what we've had to do a lot of times is to go back to the why and to start with the why with our kingdom kids and to start with, man, why do we care this much about purity? Why do we believe this much and talk, you know, about evangelism? Why do we believe in one another relationships? Why prayer is a giant focus in our ministry. Why do we talk about prayer so much? And because um, a lot of times, even though they've been taught it, growing up in a church for so long, and especially as a kid, when you don't know the why, it takes a long time for this to not just be something that's good or that I should do or my parents want me to do. Right. But no, I really can tell you why. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's where we really, really start. And, and then also I think it's relationships. I mean, we try to have, I try to have a good talk with people that are coming into the ministry personally as the minister and to start relationally that it's not, you're coming in as someone in my ministry, me as a minister, but no, I actually want to be your friend. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in your corner. Um, has also gone a long way. That's great. That's that's super helpful. Simple, getting people connected to the reasons, the why, the, the motivation, and going back to the cross. So that's that's very good. Uh, what would you like to tell men or women in their 20s who are listening to this, younger people, or maybe early 30s, who go, man, I'd love to do that. I'd love to see that happen, what's going on in, in Jordan's life or in that ministry. What advice would you give them? A person who really wants to make a difference with their life, make this life count, you know, multiply disciples. Any, any thoughts, any advice you give them? I mean, they, whether professional ministry or not, just, just a disciple, someone who wants to. Yeah. Learn. Yeah. I mean, so first, one thing I've been living off of recently is private victory comes before public victory. And man, <laughs> more than, than anyone, I want to see great things happen in the kingdom of God. And I want to be a part of it. As long as God lets me, I, I'll be a part of it. Right. And but I, I first have to start with private, man. I private victory 
need to make sure that the kingdom of God's coming in my own personal life, in my own personal character, in my spiritual disciplines. And then out of that flows incredible victory into other people. Um, so I, I think I, I talked to a lot of young, ambitious, you know, students or ministers or, you know, you know, working professionals. And I think sometimes we can get that mixed up and we can get, man, I want to see all these great things happen, but man, how are you doing personally? But out of that personal comes a lot of, a lot of growth. Um, so after, after that, man, I would say, go for it. Like, don't let anyone stop you take risks. One thing that we talk about is, um, is we say failure is not an option and not as in you're not allowed to fail, but we expect you to fail. It's not an option. Fail hard because after, and we say, if you want a giant success, it's going to come after 10 failures first. And you got to go out there and, you know, stick your foot in your mouth, embarrass yourself, look, look dumb and awkward before you find that one guy that would change the face of your campus ministry right. or before, you know, you have to have 10 of those conversations with someone in your ministry that's in sin before they finally get it. So I say, don't, man, don't fear failure, like embrace it. Don't take yourself too seriously. That's one thing I do not take myself too seriously. I laugh at myself all the time. <laughs> and I, I'm very willing to put my foot in my mouth, be, look embarrassed and apologize. Um, and, and, I, and I think what I've seen, the most fruitful uh, student leaders and ministers I've seen are the ones that aren't actually gifted first and foremost in personality skills and quote unquote leadership skills. It's the ones that are hardworking, that are humble and that are faithful. Wow. Because I can't give somebody that I can't give somebody discipline, humility and faith. But what I can do is I can teach somebody how to share their faith. I can teach somebody how to be in a Bible study. I can teach somebody how to preach the word or to spend long hours on campus. But they have to be, have the humility to do that. They have to have the faith to really go after it. And so I think if you're a young minister, man, fight to work hard, be humble, be a sponge, and then have faith that nothing is impossible with God. So those, those are some things that come to my mind. And, and then I guess I'll say the last thing you said men and women, and it hit me was, man, don't forget about the men. Men need to be saved. And we, we talk about that a lot. And um, I preach str strongly to my ministry because I want strong men to respond. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times we water down the message, right. thinking that will attract people. Strong men seek out and are attracted to strength. And there's nothing stronger than Jesus Christ. Right. And so if you preach Christ strongly, it'll actually attract strong men. Right. Um, so that would be the other piece is, man, my heart burns with a passion to see more, not just young men and women, but more young men right. raised up in the, in the campus ministries. Wow. That's, that's fantastic. Any advice to those who are wanting to date, looking for Mr. or Mrs. Wright? <laughs> Yeah, man. Hey, I guess be willing to fail a lot before you succeed. <laughs> fail hard, huh? Right, right. Go on a lot of dates. Don't shoot for the stars. Hey, man, I, I'm five eight. I was a short dude that was always insecure about his height before I became a Christian. I never thought I'd be able to get an attractive spiritual leader woman, but God blessed it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I think uh, go on a lot of dates, have fun, don't be weird. And man, uh, uh, what do we say? Whenever we have a devotional about 
seeking, we always say, uh, be the one before find the one where it's, man, you got to actually become the person you're looking for. Mm. And if you're a scrub spiritually, you're only going to attract other scrubs. (laughs) (laughs) So if you really have that private victory and you're really, you know, uh, becoming very strong spiritually, then you're going to attract an amazingly strong dating partner. Wow. That's awesome advice. Very, very helpful. Okay. Your campus ministry is around a hundred or 200 now. Where do you go from here? Like what's your kingdom dream now? Like what's, what's getting you motivated when you've already got to be, if not the largest campus ministry in the country or even the world, possibly, maybe there's some larger ones out there, but where do you go from here? Yeah, we, um, I've asked myself that a lot because we actually had a dream when the ministry was about a hundred Tom McGurk, Kendall, Albert, and I, we were the three new guys and, uh, in ministry and we we're driving home from our spring retreat. And we came up with the, we called it the two D three dream. And it was 200 disciples in three years. Mm. And so we prayed for, it, we worked for it. And we, and we reached 200 disciples in three years and God mm. blessed it. And it was incredible. And, um, and I've asked myself that a lot, like what's next and what's going to keep me going. What's the new vision. What's the new dream. I think for me, we we've created a dream that I have become sold out for heart and soul at North river, which is USS North river. And it's to become an aircraft carrier where we, we, our dream is to become a training center that sends out campus ministers all around the world. Wow. And we've been blessed even in the last five years to send out about 15, you know, campus ministers or people in the ministry. And, um, but we think it's just the very beginning. And so that, that's my new dream is going, okay, we want to have the stability here where we're still growing and, and, you know, growing to 300 or continuing to grow. But you know what? We don't just want to focus on us and we want to send out our best around the world. And uh, to really help lead other ministries to not just keep it with us, but be able to give it away. Um, Because God's kingdom isn't just about Atlanta, Georgia. It's about the whole world. That's awesome. Sounds sounds eerily familiar to something that happened at the University of Florida 50 years ago when campus ministers are going around all over the world. So that's fantastic. Jordan, thank you so much for the time. It's been inspiring to me and I just want to wish you all the best in your, your ministry and your future. Good luck there in Georgia. And I want to thank you for the listening to the Rob Skinner podcast. My goal is to inspire you to make this life count, to live a no regrets life, and to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. If you enjoyed the program today, I'd like to ask you to share. Share it with your friends. Let people know about it. If it can help them, pass it on to them and subscribe to this podcast. Have a great day and make this life count.